Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. And before I begin, let's pray once more. Father, we're so thankful that you are a God who speaks, and you have given us your word. So as we come to your word this evening, thank you once again for this passage and for this letter, and please give us ears to hear and hearts to love you and the ability to follow after Jesus. Father, we pray that you would change us by your spirit now, tonight, on the spot, as we reflect together and hear your word in these verses. So we commit this time to you. Please do more than we can ask or imagine. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. We will have, um, looking ahead to November, Justin at this point is planning to preach the next part, uh, the next section, that would be the second Sunday in November. That will be our Thanksgiving service. And then in December, the second Sunday of December, I'll finish the letter, and then we'll start a new series in January. So just a few more sermons in this letter. There's five Sundays in December. Yes. And we're, so we're planning to cancel the fifth Sunday. Yep. But you're right. You're, you're on top of it, Bob. So looking ahead, that's where we're going. All right, 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This passage gives us three house rules. It gives us three house rules for the house of God. Elders, shepherd the flock. You who are younger, be subject to the elders. And all of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. No surprises so far, right? But with that said, isn't this letter about suffering for the sake of Christ? Isn't this letter about how to live as a Christian, even when it's hard? If so, then what do these house rules have to do with suffering for Christ? In the midst of fiery trials, are house rules like these really that important? Well, I'm glad you asked. Yes, they are, and here's why. Peter knows that suffering puts a strain not only on individual Christians, but on the church as a whole, as a community. In fiery trials, Peter knows that elders will be tempted to abuse their power. 
He knows that congregations will be tempted to rebel against their elders. So, what does the church need? What does the church really need in order to survive and thrive in the midst of suffering? House rules like these. The church needs to know and follow these rules for the house of God. Think about it this way. You know how important it is for a team to function like a team. Coaches need to coach. Team captains need to lead. Players need to play. All need to work together in their respective roles in order to win the game. If they don't, what will happen when they step out on that field? They will lose. In a similar way, what this passage is showing us is that we need to play as a team in order to win in the face of persecution. We need to follow these house rules if proclamation or Westminster is going to survive and thrive. So at the end of the day, these house rules are really that important. Let's take a closer look. What are these house rules? Peter first gives instructions to elders. These instructions make up the bulk of the passage, verses 1 through 4. But first, in verse 1, Peter begins with a long, extended description of himself. He writes, So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. The Apostle Peter, as you know, was an eyewitness of the sufferings of Christ. He saw the family of Jesus turn against him. He saw the Jewish leaders and crowds reject him. In Gethsemane, he saw Jesus' agony, his betrayal, his arrest. So Peter could say, unlike any of us, that he was a first-hand eyewitness of the sufferings of Christ. And yet, what do all of the proclamation elders have in common with the Apostle Peter? With him, he says, we are fellow elders. We too proclaim a suffering Messiah. We too will share in the glory to be revealed at Christ's return. So it's as though Peter is saying to me, to John, to Mike, to Troy, and to the other elders, I get it. I get it. I know what it's like to be an elder. I know your responsibilities, your fears, your struggles, your pressures, and I'm not willing to do anything. I'm not willing to ask you to do anything that I'm also not willing to do myself. This is for me just as much as it is for you. So what does Peter call elders to do? In verse 2 he writes, Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. Shepherd the flock of God. I don't think it's any surprise that Peter uses this metaphor. Shepherds and sheep. Do you recall how Jesus recommissioned Peter after the resurrection? Jesus said to Peter a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. Tend my sheep. So Peter now turns to the elders of proclamation. 
of the elders. My commissioning is the same as yours. Shepherd the flock. It's the flock of God. Shepherd this precious flock of God by exercising oversight in these three ways. Willingly, eagerly, and as role models. First, shepherd the flock of God by overseeing willingly. Peter says in verse 2, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. Dad, do I have to? Mom, do I have to? Sound familiar? We, we all know the sound of a child whining to his or her parents, saying, I don't want to do this. Peter is saying to the elders, don't whine as shepherds of God's flock. Our entire church will suffer if we shepherd unwillingly, as if we're forced to do it. Fellow elders, myself, John, Mike, Troy, how do we need to grow in our willingness as shepherds? Second, Peter says, shepherd the flock eagerly. Peter writes in verse 3, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Peter's aware of the temptations that elders face, especially pastors. He's aware of the temptation of dishonest financial gain. This would apply especially to Troy and me, since we're paid <coughs> by our church. How are we stewarding our time on the clock, our allowances, our ministry expenses? What Peter is getting at is a fundamental heart attitude of eagerness to give, not to gain, not to get. And that applies to all of the elders in some way, shape, or form. Peter is calling us to shepherd with a selfless, eager-to-give attitude. Third, shepherd the flock as role models. Peter writes in verse 3, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. About a year ago, our presbytery, that's uh, the, our regional group of churches, including Westminster, Proclamation, and others, our presbytery had a forum on the topic of power in the church. We talked about how the purpose of power is to edify and to build others up. We use power in a godly way, when others flourish around us. One characteristic, this stood out to me, one characteristic of a godly use of power is inviting communication. Inviting communication. To invite, to welcome communication can look like asking questions like, what do you think? What would you recommend? Can we talk about it? Inviting communication. When we do this as elders, well, by the way, let me just say, that theme of inviting communication, that's applicable to all of life. All of life. Whether you're married or single, whether you have kids or grandkids, inviting communication. Inviting communication. What do you think? Let's talk about it. That's, that's a godly use of power of influence that God has given us. So in this way, when we do this, when we invite communication, we become role models for others, in this context, 
for the congregation. We model Christ himself who calls us to lives of humble servants. You may remember how James and John once asked for privileged seating. They and their mother came to Jesus and wanted seats at his right and left hand, and that didn't go over well for the rest of the disciples, Peter included. Jesus said to all of them, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever will be great among you must be your servant, and whoever will be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So fellow elders, how do we need to grow in being servants like Christ? As one example, in what ways do we need to grow in inviting communication with our congregation? The word of God is very clear here about how we are to shepherd. Shepherd the flock of God by overseeing eagerly, willingly, and as role models. Stepping back, when I think about these verses and what Peter is calling elders to do, my first response is to thank God. As a young pastor who's learning and growing, I'm so thankful for God's grace to me and to our proclamation family. I see I see this in the elders of our church. Troy and our ruling elders are examples to me of being this kind of shepherd. At the same time, and these men would be the first to say so, none of us have arrived. All of us are all of us have room to grow as being shepherds like Christ. So these instructions should convict all of us. We each have room to grow. We each have room to become more like Christ. And so, for our church family, please pray for us. Please pray that we will follow these instructions. As you pray for the elders of proclamation, you could use these verses and pray that God would help us to be more and more like this. So pray that we will be the kind of shepherd described in these very verses. These house rules are always applicable. They're applicable to today, to this week. But these house rules are especially urgent in times of pressure. When the world presses in on the church, the church needs Christ-like elders. Once again, think about team sports. When the other team is really good, your teamwork is not less important. It's all the more important. It's all the more important that your coaches are on point, that they're coaching and leading and the team captains are working together and the players are each doing their role instead of bickering and fighting amongst themselves. So when the world presses in, our church needs Christ-like elders, elders who are willing, eager, and role models. And Peter knows that this is hard. That's why, that's why he ends these instructions with a motivation. Verse 4. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. 
Who's the chief shepherd? The chief shepherd is Jesus Christ. So shout out to Martin Luther and the Reformation. The Pope is not the head of the church. Jesus Christ is. If Jesus is the chief shepherd, then one of the implications is that elders are accountable to him. Fundamentally, we are servants. We are stewards. We are under shepherds of his flock. As elders, you could say that we're also temps. Our role is temporary because Jesus is coming back. When he appears, faithful elders, Peter says, will receive their reward. He mentions an unfading crown of glory. Do you think Peter's thinking about a physical crown? Probably not. Peter's probably thinking of something far greater than a physical crown. He's thinking of glorified, physical, eternal resurrection life in the new heavens and new earth with Christ himself. The unfading crown of glory. So this fellow elders, is our motivation for faithful shepherding. Peter is not calling us to sacrifice with no thought of reward. Our faithful labors for God's flock, by His grace, will reap an eternal, an eternal reward. Peter devotes most of his time to the elders, four verses, so we've spent most of our time there. But there are also house rules for the rest of the congregation. Look with me now at the first half of verse 5. Peter writes, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. We're not entirely sure what Peter means by you who are younger. You who are younger. It could be that Peter means that those who are actually younger in age. Why? Well, I think we all know why. Younger people are more apt to rebel. So, Peter could mean that. He could also mean that, he could also mean the entire congregation in contrast to the elders. So, this could be his way of saying the elders and everyone else. That's what I'm inclined to think. I'm inclined to think that Peter has the rest of the church in view here. Those who are younger, generally, elders are older. So, this is Everyone else? Regardless, the overall instruction remains the same. Be subject to the elders. What does this mean? For starters, what is Peter not saying? He's not saying to obey no matter what your elders say. If we preach a different gospel or contradict the word of God, do not obey your elders. Do not be subject to elders. Peter's also not saying that elders are exempt from accountability. That's not true. We are accountable. What Peter is saying is this. Be inclined to follow and submit to your elders. If you're a member of proclamation, this is what you have promised to do. One of our membership vows asks, do you submit yourselves to the government and discipline of the church? Do you submit yourselves to the government and discipline of the church? So, church family, are there ways in which you need to grow in this attitude? Are there ways that you need to grow in being inclined to follow and submit to your elders? Like the instructions to elders, 
This house rule applies every day. Today, tomorrow, this week. But it's especially important, once again, when the church as a whole is being pressed. When there are strong and differing opinions within the church. When Christians in good conscience disagree about how to respond to something. What will be your heart attitude toward the leadership of your elders? To survive and thrive in trying times, proclamation not only needs faithful elders. Westminster not only needs faithful elders. Proclamation also needs faithful sheep who will be subject to their elders. As I thought about it, I I thought about how this, this goes against the drift of our modern society. So, so, so much. Our society pulls against the notion of submitting to any authority with one exception. The authority of yourself. The authority of the self. In his book, Strange New World, as we're studying in Sunday school, Carl Truman talks about the Reformation. He observes that the Reformation made religion a matter of choice. We're no longer born, married, and buried in the same church. Not not usually, anyway. You chose to be a member of Proclamation. To some extent, that's not necessarily a bad thing. I'm grateful to God for the opportunity to choose a great church. So are you. But choice becomes a bad thing when congregants aren't subject to their elders. The cultural drift is toward the authoritative self that subjects itself to no one. And as we study through this book in Sunday school, I'm convinced this this cultural mood Impacts, impacts all of us more than we realize. It impacts us more than we can fathom. Being subject to elders makes no sense in our modern times. But it's what God's word says. And as the word of God, this is the path of life. Elders can abuse their power. Church members can abuse their power, and in trying times, both are really strong temptations for us. But for all of us within the church, this is the call of God. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. We don't know for sure. I wonder what Peter had in mind when he wrote these words, clothe yourselves with humility. Because Jesus was there when Jesus, Peter was there when Jesus clothed himself with humility. Peter was there when Jesus, as the Apostle John writes, laid aside his outer garments and taken a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet. Peter was there when Jesus himself clothed himself humility. <clears throat> the Apostle John asks in that passage, do you understand what Jesus, or Jesus said, do you understand what I've done to you? And I ask all of you, do you understand what this Savior has done to you? He came to you when you were lost in your pride, when you were opposed by God, when you were anything but humble, and he served you. He cleansed you. He died for you. 
on the cross as your substitute, Jesus was treated, he was punished as the proud. God opposes the proud. Well, there in that moment, Christ became sin, and he was treated like we should be treated. He was punished. He was opposed in our place. On the cross, Jesus was opposed by his Father so that we might be humbled and might receive grace. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Do you understand what your Savior has done to you? Now clothe yourself with humility toward one another. Clothe yourself with humility. Count the interests of others as more important than your own. Invite and welcome conversation with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Like Jesus, take the towel and basin and look for ways to wash the feet of others. Whether you're an elder or church member, clothe yourselves with humility. Why? For God opposes the proud, but he gives grace. He gives favor to the humble. Will you humble yourself for the sake of Christ and for the sake of his flock? Will you humble yourself for the sake of Christ and his flock? It's no stretch of the imagination to infer that Peter's first readers did just that. No stretch of the imagination. Let me explain. By the second century, there were flourishing churches in this region. Northern Asia Minor. As far as we know, no apostle ever stepped foot in this region. But by the second century, churches thrived despite the opposition. This region, Northern Asia Minor, would become, as one person puts it, the cradle of Christian doctrine in the early centuries of the church. The cradle of Christian doctrine. This is where the Council of Nicaea affirmed that Jesus is truly God. This is where the Council of Constantinople affirmed that Jesus is truly man. This area, Northern Asia Minor, this is where those cities are. What we believe and proclaim to this day concerning the person and work of Christ was nurtured to maturity in this very region of the world. Think about it. Could it be that the churches in Asia Minor did what Peter told them to do? Could it be that in the midst of suffering for Christ and persecution for Christ, could it be that elders shepherded like Christ and members submitted to elders and all clothed themselves with humility with the result that churches not only survived persecution but thrived and impacted the, the, the course of the church for millennia? Think of it. Perhaps these house rules are more important than we first thought. Maybe this is why at this point in the letter, Peter all of a sudden turns to talk about the church and its structure and and the roles within the church. Perhaps humility within the church is really God's plan for advancing his kingdom. To that end, by God's grace, may we all clothe ourselves with humility. May we humble ourselves for the sake of Christ and his flock. Amen? Amen. Amen.